Hi, Mike Gibson and Ajay Curtinet coming to you live from ACC 2018 in Orlando. Ajay, a big day here on the first day. Uh, two trials, Odyssey, Invest, showing uh, treatments that reduced all-cause mortality. We'll get to those in a minute. What else is going on at the meeting? There's some cool stuff going on with steps and counting them in a leaderboard. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I only found out about it um, about lunchtime. So I had already done a whole bunch of steps, and then I found out that there's actually a competition, and there's an app that's linked to your, uh, your iPhone or otherwise that you basically can count steps, and they have this whole leaderboard. And uh, I had to get my run in to try to get on the leaderboard and everything else, and I don't know what's going to happen, but we'll see. But it's a nice way to invigorate the meeting and get people to be a little bit healthy. Here for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and the big news, obviously, is the Odyssey trial. Talk to us a little bit about some of the design elements. Yeah, I was telling you before that for the first time in a while, I didn't have any conflicting meetings or anything, so I sat down in the, um, the main tent for the presentation, and I, I felt like a fellow again. I was excited. It was interesting. The way they did the setup was very nice, too. So ACC is certainly doing some interesting things with the format and otherwise. But, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a large trial, very hotly awaited. Um, you know, outcomes trial with the PCSK9 inhibitor. And um, in 19,000 patients who had had uh, ACS that was then stabilized, randomized to placebo versus uh, alirucumab. And what was seen is not only reductions in the primary endpoint of MACE, but um, similarly across the board reductions in most of the components. Although cardiovascular mortality didn't quite hit a p-value of less than 0.05, all-cause mortality did. I thought um, the, uh, Professor Stegg was very, very reserved and sort of said this is a nominal p-value. It wasn't technically formally a reduction because it was a hierarchical testing. But, I mean, it's pretty impressive for, for a drug like this, and, and um, it's the data kind of that we, we wanted to see. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that he did a very good job of uh, being rigorous. And uh, that being said, though, it is a hierarchical procedure. Uh, cardiovascular death trended very close to hitting. But at the end of the day, you've adjudicated events, I've adjudicated events. If someone's found dead with the remote control in their hand in Lazy Boy, is it cardiovascular death or not? I mean, we know they're dead. We don't know why they died. and. For my money, I do think cardiovascular or all-cause death is a result that no one can argue with. Yeah, and I, and I, I think agree. as long as you're trending on the others, I think that gives a lot of plausibility to it. The second big news is the price cut on alirocumab. Uh, there's no firm number out there. Uh, from what I'm gathering, is they will cut the price down to what ICER uh, recommended be the number: 4.4k to 8.8k per year. With the mortality reduction, that puts them closer to the 4.4K per year. Keep in mind that drugs like Crestor and other drugs come in at 3.5K per year. So that number is pretty uh, cost-effective. I, I think so, and I think another analysis that was important that was also mentioned was that it did appear that a lot of the benefit occurred among those patients with an LDL greater than 100, um, and at least some of the preliminary award that I had heard is the price reduction may be among those patients, it may be across the board, but that's really the biggest barrier because, I mean, this data is confirmatory. I think everybody believes the LDL hypothesis and has known that these drugs can pretty dramatically reduce LDL. I mean, it should be noted that even in the study, there were a certain number of patients who had to be down titrated because right. their LDLs were so low, right. and there was still a discontinuation rate of about almost 15% in, in both arms. So it's not something that everybody can take, but they're pretty effective. Um, the challenge has been approvals, 
and the cost, and the cost is the reason for the approval. So I think if you can get the cost part out of the way, then hopefully more patients can have access to it. And when you say approvals, it's that prior authorization. The other big talking point with the insurers and payers will be, can we take prior authorization off the table? Here we have a treatment that reduces mortality. What do we need to do in terms of price to take that prior authorization process off the table? That'll be a big issue. Big issues. The, the other issue is the, the treatment of people with an LDL above 100. Formally, getting back to statistical rigor, there was a negative P for interaction, a P1.2 indicating that formally there is no heterogeneity in the benefit across LDLs. However, you and I both know that that test is somewhat underpowered. Uh, but my understanding is that most of the thrust of uh, the efforts to get this drug used will be in those people with LDLs above 100. And that in the trial was about 30% of patients. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of patients out there. The other thing to notice, about 88% of people were on high-dose right. statins high-dose statins. So this is on top of high-dose statins. So I, in my mind, a, a, a difference from Fourier where you saw a similar relative risk reduction, but in this trial, a mortality reduction. Some of that difference might be explained by the fact that these were ACS patients, higher risk. Some of it might be explained by the longer duration of treatment of 2.8 uh, years in total, and then some of it might be explained by some of the higher LDLs. Probably all those come together to give you a little higher risk and also a little higher relative and absolute risk reduction. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, the billion dollar question, not the million dollar question, is that is there some drug effect as well? Um, I, I personally would like to think that this is probably more class and differences in the study design. Right. The absolute event rates in the two trials are not that dissimilar, but that's kind of a messy way of looking at it. I think really. ACS is a bad thing to have, and one of the things I was struck with is despite the reduction in outcomes um, seen with the drug, the rate of adverse events at four years it, with ACS in the current era of medical management, invasive management, was still pretty high, so right. we have still a ways to go. Right. So something like this probably isn't going to do anything to arrhythmic death, still a target. Something like this isn't going to do anything to heart failure related death, still a target. And both those are still very active uh, areas of consideration. Now, coming along, of course, will be uh, the medicines company's drug, uh, an RNA inhibitor that you get an injection once every six, six months, months. Yeah. lowers LDL 45%. There was a meeting last night among a lot of the key opinion leaders uh, talking about the trial. So that's going to be a few years away, uh, but uh, offers yet another alternative. For sure. The other big trial was the VEST study. Talk to us a little bit about the design and the results. I think the key is, is that post-MI patients, particularly those with low uh, ejection fractions, are an at-risk population for sudden death. And um, guidelines do recommend waiting um, for a certain period before implanting a defibrillator, perhaps because of increased mortality up front, um, the mechanism of which is not entirely clear, but right. there's still this waiting period. And so for those patients, um, some of them are going to have events, and uh, could a life vest potentially lower the risk of those types of events? And so uh, just over 2,000 patients were randomized in a two-to-one fashion to the wearable life vest versus placebo. Um, this trial was not blinded, and that's an important mm -hmm. fact of the trial. Mm -hmm. um, and compliance wasn't 100% right. either. I mean, yeah. not everybody can wear the life vest. People had more complaints with it. And they take it off. I mean, they stop using it, right? So what was the number of people dropping out, do you recall? You know, I think, I think it was not, it was, it was around 15 to 20% or yeah. so. And there are some patients in the control arm who 
ended up getting the light vest, so mm -hmm. we'd expect that in the clinical trial. Um, the primary endpoint was originally going to be all-cause mortality. This is kind of the day of all-cause all mortality. mortality. Should have been the primary Should've endpoint. Should have been the primary <laughs> endpoint. They changed it also over in Odyssey. It was going to be the primary endpoint. So yeah. exactly, and so for this, because it was taking so long to accrue patients. 10 years in this trial, um, it was switched to sort of mortality due to you know, sudden cardiac death. And it turns out that um, that was reduced, but not significantly so. Um, mortality due to other types of death was reduced, but not significantly so. And as a result, all-cause mortality was lowered um, by randomization to the vest, although that's not the primary endpoint of the trial. Um, the challenging thing, though, is that it's not clear how this device prevented uh, mortality as a whole. Adjudication is hard. Um, there were shocks that occurred that were appropriate. Probably about 1.3% or so patients got appropriate shocks, but there were a lot of people who got inappropriate shocks or aborted their shocks. And then the big question is in an unblinded trial, just having the life vest, does that make changes in patients' behavior yeah. to remind them to seek medical attention right. or otherwise that could drive the results? Absolutely. Uh, but again, it could be the you know, found dead in the lazy boy with the remote and the hand adjudication issue, but you're right, I think we still need to understand better the mechanism and if, if it's really a credible result. Right? And you've led trials in high-risk patients post-MI trying to look at ST segments or looking at the risk. The reality for clinicians is we send a lot of people home with right. these characteristics and many of them do great, so how right. do we target our therapies to a super right. high-risk population? Right. True for everything, right? Anything else happening of interest here? I thought the future hub that the ACC um, had in the Expo Center was a really cool concept. Um, newer sort of technologies, where the future is going. Bob Harrington gave a keynote on um, where technology is going for the management of patient care. EHR um, solutions that don't require people to be typing all the time. I know you and right. I feel pretty strongly about that. Right. Um, and, and I like the energy of the meeting. I Dragon Netra speaking job. has saved my life. I don't know about you. You know, <laughs> when you get 300 emails a day, that, that's right. So who, at the end of the day, with the convergence of insurance and tech and uh, hospitals, who's going to win? Is it going to be Google, Amazon, Apple, or a big manufacturer like GE or Walmart? I would put my money on um, some sort of startup or tech because I think they just have the ability to think a little bit more outside the box than other folks. And if you talk to many physicians, physician burnout can be an issue now. A lot of people feel that within the system, solutions are just going to be hard to be that much more than just iterative. So, yeah. Yeah. I think Amazon does have the supply chain side of things down. When it comes to medications, yeah. getting your prescriptions and everything, I think they probably stand the biggest shot at changing care. And their collaborations, too, now that right. they're doing to try to reinvent things, right. pretty impressive. I agree. Ajay, thanks for joining us here today. And thanks to all of you for joining us here live from ACC 2018 in Orlando. Thanks.